right, so d- does anybody think that Sean and I dress the same this morning? I don't know, his is a lot more hip. I look more like the Hamburglar. <laughs> we, we call each other every morning and we're like, hey, What are you going to wear? wear? <laughs> okay, Sean, you got it. Hi. If you knew, welcome to Element. Uh, there are Bibles in the back. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. There are sermon notes on all the communion tables around the room. You can grab uh, those. Also, if you have version, you can get on your smartphone, click on uh, version, download it, click on Live. It'll bring up Element by GPS. If you have an iPhone, if not, you can type in 93454, 93458, and it'll bring up the message. You can get all the notes and everything along with that. Uh, as, as far as Christmas Eve services go, you're going to want to come about 10 to 15 minutes early. We've got some, something kind of fun for you because we, we take Christmas Eve services very seriously around here. We really do. I mean, it's like a couple years ago, James, the guy that spoke last week, if you don't know him, he does our youth, shows up in like his ugly sweater. And I go, dude, go home and change. This is Christmas Eve. So he goes home and has to change his sweater into something a little nicer. Christmas Eve. I love Christmas Eve. All right. Next week, if you come, you're all going to get something that looks like this. This is like a lunch bag. It's not like, oh, let's make puppets. Okay. No. This is, this is a bag, and this bag is very important. Next week, you will take one home. You know what you'll, you'll do with this bag over the following week? You'll put cookies in it. And then you will bring them back the next week, and you will share them with everybody, including me. And I might just take my bag and fill it with yours and go home. <laughs> so next week you're going to get a bag. Fill it with cookies. This is very, very important. I call it the, the great homemade cookie something or other. It's so wonderful. And uh, my, I, I have two more things. I've got a ton of things to just talk to you about. I, I was gone last week. It's like, what am I going to do? Uh, if, so you buy this week for FPU, Financial Peace University, should have saved 40 bucks. Anybody up to your 40 bucks getting ready for, because it costs $96 for the course, so, yeah, okay, we're doing a financial class, costs 96 bucks, so we're telling you guys save eight bucks a week, don't go to Starbucks once, you'll be okay. There's also full, uh, we have a full children's program for the entire thing as well, so if you're worried about kids, we'll have a full children's program for the entire thing as well. Now, I want to let you guys know one thing. You, you come into Element, and, and usually the floors are clean, and the bathrooms are clean, and everything looks nice, right? Okay, you know, that, that is mostly the result of one person, Jackie Goodja. And she has been doing this for about two years now. And she, she is ending her, her overseeing of all the cleaners and everything at the end of this year. So I just wanted to say thank you to her for doing all that. All right. She's also my mom, so she's still cleaning up after me. I don't know. Why don't you guys stand and you read to God's Word. This is Ephesians chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. And it says, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that He lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. Let's pray. Father, this morning we as a people... Thank you so much for the wisdom that you give so graciously to us. And we ask that as a people, we would live and walk in that wisdom that you give us. That our lives reflect who you are. That people would know you by the way that we live in that wisdom and understanding you have given us. Amen. Have a seat. 
So we are in a series called Made. This is week eight. Took a little break last week. We are so close to Christmas. I just love Christmas, if you didn't know. Now, actually, over coming up to Christmas this year, I was going to do an historical look at uh, St. Patrick, St. Mary, and St. Nick. And maybe we'll do that next year, but Maid's taking uh, all this time up. Maybe it's been good. If Maid's been good for you, Merry Christmas. If it hasn't, Merry Christmas, whatever. <laughs> if you missed any messages, you can go get them online. And what we're talking about is that God has made each of us unique. He likes that. God enjoys the quirks that make us us. He didn't make you to be someone else. He made you to simply be you. And so we've been looking at how this uniqueness plays into who we're supposed to become by God's grace. Central to becoming who God calls us to be, you have to understand humanity and actually yourself. And again, don't misunderstand me when I say that. When I say we're helping you to understand you, it's not because you're so great, you need to be better in touch with yourself. It's that you're the problem and I am the problem and Jesus is the solution. Our culture is all about you, 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 and our culture is very messed up because you are terrible. And I am terrible and Jesus is good. So our goal is to help you to see how God sees you, that your eyes should always be upon Christ to ever properly understand you. So the first week, what we talked about is that God made you who he wanted you to be. You simply need to embrace that even when you don't understand it. The second week, we talked about spiritual growth and that we're all going to grow at different rates and one size does not fit all. The third week, then, we talked about how our greatest strengths can also be our greatest weaknesses. And the fourth week, we talked about how to be truly human with uh, the connectedness that God gives us with each other and himself. In the fifth week, we talked about how to deal with worry because we, as, as we move into who God made us to be, we get a little fear, a little bit of anxiety, and that will pull us away from who God made us to be. The sixth week, we talked about difficult people because you are one. Two, two weeks ago, we talked about God's Spirit and work. And today we're going to talk about God's Spirit again, but how God's Spirit speaks to us and leads us and reveals who He wants us to be. We're going to do this with two essential words. These words are conviction and repentance. You're like, oh, I love these sermons. They're so wonderful, conviction and repentance. I'm going to do is I'm going to try and put this in today's vernacular. So when you walk out the door, you're like, oh, I totally get it. This makes a lot of sense. I'm going to help you to understand how God speaks to you in half an hour. I'm a professional. Go with me. All right. Now, do you know that there's one set of eyes that you can never look into, and that is your own. There are parts of yourself that you will never see without a mirror or a camera or outside help. And it is the same thing with our own souls. In one sense, you know yourself better than anybody else in the world. You alone have all the access to your inner thoughts and feelings and judgments. But in another way, you know yourself worse than anybody else on the planet. Because we hate being honest with ourselves about ourselves. We will rationalize and justify and minimize and forget and embellish. And our pride makes it so hard for us to even see when we are doing those things. When I was putting this series together, I was reading a book by Carol Tabris and Elliot Aronson called Mistakes Were Made, But Not By Me. And what they do is, is through this book, they chart all these mental tricks that people do to deceive themselves, where we claim too much credit and take too little blame for our actions. In schools, most faculty members rate themselves as above average teachers. If you've ever been to a school, you know not every teacher is above average. Virtually all high school students rate themselves as above average in social skills. If you're a, middle school, a high school kid, you're like, you're not above average, buddy. Uh, most, most people in hospitals, due to car crashes that they cause themselves, will rate themselves as above average drivers. 
It's like this. When I see bad behavior in you, I attribute it to your flawed character because you're awful. If I do something wrong, I attribute it to extraordinarily trying circumstances. If you yell at your kid, it's because you got an anger problem. But if I had kids and I yelled at them, well, it's their fault for misbehaving. See, it's, it's, it, we're even guilty of what's called a confirmation bias. We will listen and agree with ex- experts who uh, like our opinions that we already hold, and we will disagree with experts who don't hold the opinions that we already hold. We just kind of dismiss them. Our memories are not just simply faulty. They are faulty in favor of our egos. This book, it actually charts how people remember voting in elections they didn't vote in, voting for winners they didn't vote for, giving money to charities they never gave to. Parents remember children walking and talking at ages earlier than they ever did. There's another book called Egonomics. And in this book, it talks about how 83% of people, when surveyed, that they said they were confident that they could make good decisions. But only 27% of them were confident in their coworkers to make the same good decisions. It is like we only see ourselves through a funhouse mirror. My wife and my friends, they can always tell when I'm about to do something stupid, usually before I can. And it's not that they're geniuses, although they may disagree with me on that. Uh, but it's just that I am sitting right in my own blind spot. And so are you. You sit in your own blind spot. And so God's Spirit comes in and He wants to get our attention. He wants us to listen to Him so that we become the people that He made us to be. So in our vernacular today, I am going to try and lay these things out to you on how God speaks to us. And the first thing you have to do is this, is acknowledge your own blind spot. You've got to stop claiming you don't have a blind spot. Apart from the Holy Spirit, we will have such a hard time acknowledging even our own sin. If you have a Bible, open to John chapter 3, verse 19. Now, my wife and I, we used to, we lived in Iowa, got married, we married two months, moved to Iowa for eight months, long months, it was enough, okay? We moved there in January of 1993, it was 40 below with the wind chill, we had a brand new puppy, she's like, I'm peeing in the house, I am not going outside. (laughs) Now, to melt all the snow and the ice on the road, street crews would cover these roads with rock salt, and they ended up coating your car windshield. I don't know if you ever lived in the Midwest, just awful. Be glad you're in California, it's wonderful. And so at night, when you drive by your headlights in the dark, you don't really notice this film that kind of covers your windshield. But the sun comes up, and the sun's like, I don't know, five million times brighter than moonlight, and all of a sudden, bam, you can't see a thing. So either you pull over and stop and clean your windshield, or you crash, or you drive only at night. You avoid the light. We are a people who have this film that kind of covers our souls. And so what do we do? We don't want to come into the light and listen to what God says, so we try to drive in the dark all the time. In John 3.19, Jesus just talks to Nicodemus about you need to be born again. And then this is what he says. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Now, light from Genesis to Revelation is all about God's truth, the encompassing character of who he is. And Jesus essentially says, light has come into the world, but everybody likes their own darkness. This Holy Spirit knows that we all try to hide. We have something that is our darkness that we love and we don't want to bring it into the light. And the more we love that darkness, the more we will doubt the love of God in our life. Why do we love the darkness? Because we want to continue in darkness. Because if we stand in the light, our sin then becomes exposed. And there's only one reason we would ever take all the things we try to hide and bring it into the light. And that is if we believe God loves us. And so the goal in our lives is not to try really hard not to sin. Our goal is to love Jesus. That is the goal. 
I got this quote. I cannot remember where it's from when I was putting this message together. Oh, that's a great quote, and I wrote it down. I have no idea where it's from. So if you know, let me know, and then we will all know. But this is the quote. It says, The awareness of sin cannot be recovered simply by trying to crank up the volume. Merely saying loudly and often that sin is bad will not create the tectonic shift needed in our souls. You don't have to work hard to get people to hate cancer. They just have to love life. So we don't have to get people to hate sin. You just have to get them to love Jesus because Jesus brings us into the light. If they love life, people will always be opposed to whatever can destroy it. In John 10.10, Jesus says, The thief comes only to kill, uh, still kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. You must be aware that you have a blind spot must be aware and acknowledge that. And then when you realize that, the second thing is you invite the Spirit to examine your soul. Do a ruthless inventory of who you are. In Psalm 19, King David, he's talking about God's glory, how he as a man fails to live up to that glory as he should. In verse 12, David says, Who can discern his errors? Forgive my hidden faults. See, David knows that trying to see the truth about himself is like you and I trying to see the inside of our own eyeballs. We just can't do that. But left, we are, but we are not left on our own. The Spirit comes in and He speaks to us. He examines our souls. The Spirit, if you're a believer, is already at work in you. Our job is to listen and then to respond to it. Now, once in the middle of the night, a few years ago, Marianne and I, my wife and I, were, were laying in bed and, and there's this intermittent beeping, chirping, beep sound. And so my wife goes, what's that sound? And so I know if I acknowledge said sound, it'll be my job to get up and go check it out. So I say, so I go, what sound? Go dudes. What sound? It's like, this sounds like my life. Yeah. And because if, if I had to say it really loud over the incredibly loud chirping sound that was going on. So my wife says to me, <sighs> and I'm like, okay. So I get up, I go in the hallway, I find the problem, I take care of it, I go back to bed. She goes, what was it? And I said, what well, was the smoke detector? And she said, what made it stop? I said, I took out the battery and took it off the wall. She says, you can't do that. And I said, I did. She says, but what if there's a fire somewhere? And me, very manlike, says, look, do you smell any smoke? I don't smell any smoke. It's clearly a battery problem. I took care of it, and I go back to sleep. Like typical dude, right? Okay. But what if there was a fire? The smoke detector isn't my enemy. The fire would have been my enemy. The smoke detector is simply trying to help me not burn my house down. We live a life given to us by God. We have a soul given to us by God. And many times his conviction will come in and it will sound like this chirp or a beep in your soul in our vernacular today. Do you hear any beeping sounds? Beeping sounds can sound like this. Uh, maybe a, a parent neglects their kids. And all of a sudden their kids complain, they misbehave, they increase the level of conflict around the house. The parent has a nagging sense of failure. And either they can go and they can begin to do something about that, they can look closely at their parenting, maybe they can talk to their kids, or you can bury yourself in work or hobbies or TV. Which one is it? But there's some chirping there. Maybe James speaks last week about serving and giving. And, and you hear this message and all of a sudden you got a little chirp or a beep in the core of who you are. And you think, man, you know, how, look how little I do serve. Or look how little I, I do give. But you don't like the discomfort. So either, either you do something about it or you, maybe you go shopping to try and quiet the chirping. Maybe you're an angry person and you blow up at everything. And the beeping sound maybe is the loneliness inside of you. And you can either do something about it or you can take the batteries out of your smoke detector, drink a little more, convince yourself it's everybody else's problem and not yours. One or the other. You must understand that many times this, this beeping and chirping, it, it feels like guilt. But guilt is not your enemy. Sin is your enemy. 
Sin is your enemy. And when God's Spirit brings conviction, the best response is not to suppress the guilt. It is simply, in our vernacular, to get out of bed, look around the house, put out the fire before it can do more damage. You must acknowledge you have a blind spot. You must invite the Spirit to examine your soul. And number three, don't ignore the beeping. Don't ignore the beeping. Turn to Judges chapter 16. When we were going through the book of Esther, I talked about a guy named Samson. I think this is one of the most poignant statements in the entire Old Testament is when Samson is betrayed by this lady named Delilah. Delilah, Samson is in love or lust with, and at one point she binds him. They, they cut off his hair because everybody thinks his power all comes from his hair. Like 80s rock bands must have thought that too or something. I don't know. <laughs> so they cut off his hair and he's bound, and then he wakes up. In Judges 16, verse 20, it says, He awoke from his sleep and thought, I will go as before and shake myself free, meaning I'll break these ropes off my hands and I'll live in this strength. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. I mean, think about that statement. He did not know that the Lord had left him. Samson was created by God to be a man of great strength and power. After a lifetime of disobedience, Samson keeps pushing and pushing and pushing God. And in a moment of great crisis, he arises to exert his strength and God's not there. And he doesn't even realize it. He doesn't even realize that the Spirit is not there anymore. He lost all sensitivity to God's divine presence in his life. In the Old Testament, God's Spirit would come on people periodically and then leave. Now, after Christ's death and resurrection, 2 Timothy 2.13 tells you if you are a believer, you know, truly, and, and not just taking the name only, God will never leave you. It says when we are faithless, He remains faithful. But God sometimes wants to get our attention, and He beeps, and if you keep pushing that away, you'll try and keep it quiet. And then all of a sudden you'll start not to hear it and you're like, why can't I hear God anymore? Because you're not listening and he's been beeping the whole time. You cannot live your life doing whatever you want and think you're a Christian. That is not how it works. Sometimes we just get more and more insensitive to the Spirit's leading. For me, I don't know the truth about myself, so I trust God and my friends to reveal to me all the truth I can handle. If you ever go, God, tell me the truth about me, and it ever sounds like, oh, you're the greatest. Oh, you could be the next American Idol. That's not God. That's you. Or it could be your mom if you're 40 and you still live at home. It could be that. All right? Our bodies have an amazing capacity to warn us about what ails them. If you learn to read the signs, chest pains indicate heart trouble. There are subtle signs. If you have shortened eyebrows, it can signal hyperthyroid problems. Yellow bumps on your eyelids mean you have high cholesterol. If you have a diagonal crease on your earlobe, it's actually linked to a risk of heart attack. Don't get up and run to the bathroom and take a look. Just go with me. Uh, in the same way, God does those same things. He reveals the truth about our souls if we are patient and open and willing. In Psalm 139, verse 23, it says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. The psalmist says, Okay, God, search me. I will listen. And you, beep, I will listen to that. And I will do what you call me to do because only God can give enough grace and strength and truth to overcome the distorted vision we have about ourselves. In Isaiah 5.20, God says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Left to ourselves, we will rationalize, excuse, defend ourselves. And God's like, beep, wake up. Madame Guillaume once wrote and warned against depending on the diligence of our own scrutiny rather than on God for the knowledge and discovery of our sin. This is why you must understand and know you have a blind spot. You must ask the Spirit to do a ruthless inventory of your soul and you must listen when He does. And number four, you must recognize conviction. Open to the book of John, chapter 16, verse 7. 
this is Jesus. He's talking to his disciples about how he's going to die and he's going to rise from the dead and then what he's going to do after that happens in order that his people can continue to move forward in who he calls them to be. John chapter 16, starting in verse 7. Oh, you guys with smartphones are like, boom, I'm already there. I don't know what's going on. John chapter 16, verse 7. Jesus says, But I tell you the truth. It is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. You go, oh, how nice. Jesus is going to send a counselor, a comforter. Oh, we like comfort. That's so nice. What will this counselor do? Verse 8. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. You're like, what? That's counseling? Yes, that is counseling. Not what you go and get most time when you go. This, that is counseling. Verse 9. In regard to sin, because men do not believe in me. In regard to righteousness, because I am going to the Father, where you can see me no longer. In regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. When we think of conviction, we think it means, oh, we got caught doing something. But it's not necessarily that. It, it's like kind of like this. I, I am trying to drive better. I, I know if you ever see me drive, you're like, I don't really see it. But, but I, re- I really am. I'm trying to drive better, slower, more aware. If you ever waved at me and you're in the car next to me, I don't see you. That's just par for the course. I, I just don't pay a whole lot of attention. So a couple of years ago, I get pulled over by this cop. And he pulls me over and he asks the question, do you know why I pulled you over? And I'm like, seriously, no. I don't know why I'm doing anything. I don't know what's going on at all. You know. And so he tells me I pulled in front of somebody and making a left-hand turn. They had to put on their brakes. And so I get caught. I get a ticket. And some people would say, oh, well, you got convicted. I had to pay some stupid amount because some skittish driver is coming the other way. Just run into me if I do it. You know, don't just keep going. Now, sometimes people get caught doing something like that, something wrong, and they feel pain. They go, oh, well, that's conviction. But the pain isn't necessarily conviction over sin. It's pain over being caught. That's what it's pain over. Sometimes pain is pain over how other people view us or see us. And if no one knew, then there wouldn't be any pain at all. Conviction is not the same thing as a fear of punishment or getting punished. Conviction is when God enables us to get a glimpse of what we are capable of. As in, maybe you lash out at somebody and God goes beep or chirp and you stop and you go, how did I become the kind of person who could do that? Maybe you're in school. And you're having a really hard time in a class. And you decide, well, I'm just going to cheat on this test so I can get past it. And God goes, beep. And you think, how did I become the kind of person who could cheat on tests? Maybe you're uh, in the group of some people and, and you don't want to feel left out. So you maybe lie or embellish about who you are, where you've been, and that kind of thing. And God goes, beep. And you think, how did I become the kind of person who lies to get what I want? How did I become so cowardly that I would just say things in order to be liked by other people? When God is at work in us, the pain is not about other people knowing about consequences or certain things. Those are all external. The pain of conviction is internal over who I am and who I'm living as versus who God made us to be. We have to understand that. Conviction is when we respond with God, please send as much light as I can stand. Clean off my windshield of what I cannot see. Cleanse me. Cleanse me. This is why we must acknowledge our blind spots and invite the Spirit to examine our souls and not ignore the beeping and recognize conviction. But then it has to go to this place. If it doesn't go to this place that I'm going to talk about next, then it doesn't make any sense at all. You, you must be hopeful. You must be hopeful. It must always end in hope because repenting of our sin is never despairing over our sin. It is always done in hope. 
Guilt can be an important stop along the journey, but it's never meant to be the end of the line. Repenting is a gift that God gives His people for their own sake, not for His. Repenting does not increase God's desire to be with you anymore. It increases our capacity to be able to stand more in the light with Him. Now, have you ever seen an animal repent? I got a, I got a dog and a cat. Uh, Our old dog used to sleep in the bedroom at night. She kind of expected it. She would hear us hobbling around the house like 11 o'clock, and you open the door, she'd be standing right there. It's time to come in. I know she feels entitled to it. But sometimes the dog would do a bad thing. When when that happens and when we find where she hid the bad thing, whether in the house or or outside, she does not expect to come inside. As a matter of fact, when I open the door and look at her, she runs away from me. That's how that works. Now, sometimes the cat does something wrong. Do you think the cat repents? No, not at all. You know why? Because cats are evil. That's why. The difference between a dog and a cat is the, is a dog has a master while a cat thinks they have a staff. Now, we often, we often think we need to repent because God's, oh, he's mad at us. He needs some time to cool off. And, and we think and live like, like the dog that, oh, if we re, repenting is a way to punish ourselves, perhaps God's going to be less severe with me. But repentance, when properly understood, is when we realize that God loves us, that God finds value in us, and that is why our response is so important. Open to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Repentance is what is called a remedial work. Repentance is meant to mend our minds and our hearts that have been bent by our own sin, by this covering that covers the windshields of our souls. Repentance is meant to clean that off so we can be who God made us to be. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. Paul says this, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regrets. That is what godly sorrow does. It leads to salvation and no regrets, but worldly sorrow brings death. Worldly sorrow leaves you wallowing in guilt. Godly repentance takes you to a place of hope. In in the Old Testament, King David, he murders this guy named Uriah. He sleeps with his wife named Bathsheba. He goes a year without repenting. He even went to temple. So he goes to church for a year. He has to separate his deed from his worship of God. Then the prophet, and I would say his friend Nathan, shows up and tells David a story. And it enables David to see his life through the eyes of the person that he had wronged. He now thinks differently. He now sees who he was meant to be versus who he was living as. And that is repentance and conviction. Verse 11, Paul says, See what this godly sorrow has produced in you. What earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. Repentance is always done in the gracious promise of forgiveness. We can really expect to change. We can really begin to live how God made us to live. But we must know and understand we have a blind spot. You must invite the Spirit to examine your soul. You must listen when He does. You must recognize conviction, but live in hope. Sometimes people, they're so afraid that if they don't change fast enough, God's going to get impatient with them. That is other people. That is not God. People sometimes wonder, well, how much sin can I have in my life before I've got to start worrying? Is there a level that's acceptable you know, for, me to, for me to be a Christian? Over that, I'm in danger. It's like, how much cholesterol can I have? Is the standard like really high for like homogenized milk or is it really like hot dogs where I can have a whole bunch of junk just thrown in there? The question really comes down to people ask is, is it possible to be a Christian and never grow? And the answer is no, it's not. See, if you are a believer, God has made you alive. Things that are alive grow. These Christmas trees are never going to grow again because we cut them down. They're essentially dead. Poor trees. But things that are alive grow and that's the point. 
That's the point. The issue is not whether God's going to get tired of forgiving your sins. God is not worried that he's going to be taken advantage of or that some bad boy is going to use their charm and put one over on heaven. The danger is not that God won't respond to our sincere repentance. The danger is we might become so ensnared by the thoughts that sin produces that we become unable to repent, that we don't want to, that we just stop seeing the sin. Sin wants to destroy you. It is because of this that sin must be taken so seriously. And it's because of this, I think in Galatians 6, 1, Paul says, Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently, but watch yourselves or you may also be tempted. Because sometimes God chirps, and sometimes He sends people into our lives to chirp as well. I mean, in this whole process, God has not left us alone. He's given us His Spirit, and He's given us other people. We live in God's power, and we help each other to move towards God, who God has made us to be. This is one of the reasons we put small groups, gospel communities, so strongly. Because if you are not in a small group or gospel community with other believers, you're not fully living the life that God calls you to live. You need to be in one. There's a sign-up in the back. You should sign up and become part of a gospel community. You all should. And in gospel communities, don't get all afraid because we don't get to judge the amount of spiritual growth that's taking place in someone else. We get to hold each other accountable. We get to kick each other in the butt. That's what we get to do in these groups. Now, Frank Labatt, he was a missionary who brought the gospel to a tribe that had a long history of violence. Uh, the chief heard uh, Frank Labatt give the gospel, you know, who Jesus was, what he did for, for his people. And so he actually lays his life down to Christ on the spot. And so this chief then looks to Frank Labatt, and in gratitude he goes, this is wonderful. Who do you want me to kill for you? But that's the guy's starting point. See, only God knows where everybody's starting point is. Only God knows the, the places that, that we try to hide in our souls. Only God is the one who beeps in the way that we need to know so that we move into who He calls us to be. The hope we cling to in the face of our sin is not our own goodness, for we have none. It is God's. Now, I want to leave you with this story. Uh, I read a, this a couple months ago. About this guy who was invited to a dinner at Azusa Pacific University uh, before the graduation ceremonies. And so at one point, John Wallace, who is the university president, actually pulls three seniors into the middle of the room. And he tells everybody that these three seniors are going to go and serve uh, impoverished areas around the world for several years after graduation. So the graduating seniors, they all say a few words about where they're going and why. And they thought that's why they were there, to tell their story. But then John turns to the students and he says the real reason why they're in the room. He says, somebody you do not know has heard what you're going to do and they want you to be able to serve where you're going without any impediment whatsoever. So he has given a gift. He's asked to remain anonymous, but here's what he has done for you. He looks at the first student and he says, you have been forgiven your school debt of $105,000. Yeah, that's the reaction of the person. That was, like, it just takes a while to kind of sink in this mountain of debt. She begins to cry unexpectedly at this debt that's been wiped out. He turns to the next student. You have been forgiven your school debt of $70,000. He gets to the third student. But this time, you know, they know what's coming, but they really can't believe it. And he looks at him and says, you have been forgiven your school debt of $130,000. Now, all the students there are left trembling. Their lives have been changed by the extravagance of someone they had never met. It is an unpayable debt, an unseen giver, an unforgettable gift, and the freedom they now get to live in, the freedom that these debtors now becomes a blessing to the world around them. That is repentance. That is conviction and forgiveness and hope and grace because the freedom that you now get to live in should be a blessing to the world around you because you are now free. The joy of forgiveness. We labor under a debt called sin that we can never repay. People, some people call it regret or guilt or shame or brokenness. It is sin. It is sin. 
And it is why you must say, I've got a blind spot, and invite the Spirit to examine your soul and listen when He beeps. And then recognize conviction, but live in hope. In 2 Corinthians 5, 18 and 19, it says, All this is from God, who reconciled us to Himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to Himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And He has committed to us the message of reconciliation, the message of hope, that our lives can be reconciled not only to each other, but to our Creator as well. And we will not understand any of it if we have not submitted our lives to Christ. We are a people who must understand that our sins have been forgiven, which means when God comes and God beeps and God convicts us, it's for the purpose of growth and hope and to become the people He made us to be. That is why He does it. Every Sunday we bring you to the place of communion. And communion is this place where we lay and submit ourselves before Christ. And you break that cracker like His body is broken for us. You dip it in the wine of the grape juice that represents His body and His blood that was shed for you and I so our sins can be forgiven that the Spirit can work in us, that we can hear the beeping, live in hope, and become the people He calls us to be. So this morning, as you go to take communion, you need to stop and ask, is there any beeping in my soul? And if there is, go take care of it. Go take care of it. God did not come, live, die, rise from the dead so you can continue just to be and do everything you want to do. So we can live lives that glorify Him and honor others around us. The band's going to come up. And do a couple songs. And as they do, we ask you to take a few moments. God, is there any beeping sound in me? And we're going to worship God uh, through prayer. There'll be some deacons and elders in the back. And if you have some beeping sound that's kind of sitting in your soul that you need to deal with and you don't know how to deal with it, go and pray with them. They'd love to pray with you. If you feel weird about going to the back of the hallway after service, they'll hang out up front. You can come and talk to them as well. There's an offering box on the side wall and in the back, and we give because God gave so much to us. Giving is part of our worship, so we give you the opportunity every week to give as well. We also worship God through fellowship. And like I said, there are sign-ups in the back if you want to be part of a small group, a gospel community, so you can more fully understand who God calls us to live as, as His people. There's also some cookies and stuff to eat in the back, get to know some other people, ask them, hey, are you in a, are you in a gospel community? Are you in a small group? Talk to them and ask them those questions. Well, yeah, hey, I like you. Can I go to yours? You know, go, to, go to somebody you like. If, if you don't, maybe some of your friends get together, you can make one, and we will help you. We'll give you materials to actually be able to start meeting together and talking and doing life together. Our God is a great and a good God, and He loves us more than we could ever imagine. And He wants us to live as He made us to be. And so He speaks to us. And we must be a people who listen. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I ask that You would teach us to be a people who listen to You. The only God. A God of grace and glory and honor and goodness. And a God who comes and convicts the hearts of His children for the purpose of hope for the purpose of growth so that we become the people you made us to be a people fully alive and fully aware of the goodness that you have so graciously bestowed upon us I ask this morning that you would convict us and that we would hear your voice and that we would do what you call us to do because you've also given us your strength to do what you call us to do. And though it may be hard, 
we can do all things when we trust and live in you. Father, have us be a people who live fully the life that you called us to. We ask these things in your son's name. Amen.